18 through 20. Beginning in Matthew 28, starting at the 18th verse. And Jesus, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God. Thank you, Lynn. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission, and it's also our church's mission statement at this point. The elders have adopted it as our mission statement, and then we have another vision statement, which we'll be sharing with you uh, soon in coming days. But it's a great commission. You know, how can we go wrong with the great commission as a church's mission statement? And I wonder, I want to see if my PowerPoint has come up yet. It takes a moment sometimes. I wonder if you think about the great commission oftentimes. We think about what we just sang about, send the light. You know, the blessed gospel light. And as we think about the gospel, I was thinking about a video clip from the movie Gravity, which Sandra Bullock was in, uh, George Clooney too, a couple of no-name actors and actresses. And, um, and anyway, Sarah, they're, they're both in outer space, and I saw it a few years ago, so I'm, but uh, they get kind of lost in space, but not to be confused with the 1960s show. But uh, they're lost in orbit. George Clooney dies. Not the real George Clooney. Don't worry. It's okay. His character dies, and she's kind of, you know, hanging out there in outer space, and she's pretty sure she's going to die as well. And there's a little video where, just, just a minute or two long, where she's thinking about prayer. I'm going to turn that on in just a second. You hear her kind of whining at the beginning just because I cut the video short, and I think she's getting a little senile on the clip. And then just notice, I'll just tell you before it comes up, she never has been taught to pray. She doesn't know how to pray. She doesn't know that anybody will even pray for her soul. So I'm going to turn this on and just watch this. Maybe. Technology's working. There we go. You need a little sound. I know we're all gonna die. Everybody knows that. But I'm gonna die today. Funny that, you know, to know. But the thing is, is that I'm still scared. I'm really scared. Nobody will mourn for me, no one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you say a prayer for me? Or is it too late? Uh, I mean, I'd say one for myself, but I've never prayed in my life, so. Nobody ever taught me how. her how to pray. Nobody had taught her. She says that. And I think oftentimes we think everybody knows the Christian values. Everybody understands the Christian values. Everybody 
understands why we do what we do, and, 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 and everybody has actually rejected the gospel. And it's really just not true. We know that our culture, our world is getting further and further away from Christianity. And as they get further and further, they don't have a clue. They really don't. I was a McDonald's manager, as uh, many of you know. And I was talking to a friend, another manager, and she had gone to a church called Gingisburg, a big Methodist church. And she said, how, do the, how does the church pay their bills? I said, well, that offering, the offering. And she said, oh, I should probably start putting money in that. Didn't understand. And if you're here and you're a visitor and you don't understand, it's okay. We have to understand we are in a post-Christianity America. Post-Christian. Or some could call it pre-Christian. And it's nice if we could think of it as pre-Christian because that means Christianity is going to come back. You know, God is separating the weed from the wheats. He's refining the church in America. But we have to have the gospel on our heart. There was a movie, another movie called The Sixth Sense. I saw it once and that's enough. Didn't really like it. I was in high school. I was senior when it came out. And um, the kid said, I see dead people. And that was like the famous line from the movie, I see dead people. And I wonder, do, do we realize that we see dead people too? Because we are dead, completely dead spiritually without Jesus Christ. We are dead. We are eternally dead without Jesus Christ. And by the Christian belief... Without Jesus, there is hell, a literal, real hell. That is the Christian belief. And I think a lot of us don't really grasp that idea. We don't, we don't, we don't get it because if we did, evangelism would always be on our mind. It would be like if we saw everybody with cancer and we knew that there's a free cure. It's free. You don't have to even have to go through the health insurance marketplace. It, wouldn't that be great, you know? It's totally free. We have free eternal life. It's free. My dad always taught me nothing's free. Well, this is free. Do we realize that? The gospel is free and people need it. I have a belief, I shared this in Sunday school a while back, that there's kind of three types of Christians. It's three types. And the first type like, they really, really, really hold strongly to the Bible as the authoritative word of God. Like, strongly. And they don't only hold strongly to the Bible as the authoritative word of God. They hold strongly to the gospel being the true good news of Jesus Christ. And without the gospel, there really is hell. They really wholeheartedly believe that. They believe it so much that they are praying for the lost every single day. They are on, the knee, on their knees praying for those who do not know Jesus. They're praying for them. And if they know someone without Jesus, it just messes them up. How can this person not know Jesus? And they're just praying all night long. In a few weeks on Mother's Day, I'm going to share about a mother who prayed for 60 years for her son to come to know Christ. And he did after 60 years of prayer. That's type one. They really understand the reality of the gospel. And they are always praying for that reality. Always hoping to have opportunities to share Jesus with other people. That's type one. Then there's Christian type two. 2.0. But 2.0 isn't always better. Okay. Christian two. These people say they believe the Bible is the word of God. They say they believe it. And they say they believe the gospel, but they're never sharing it, which is illogical. It lacks logic. It's not rational. 
It really, and so when push comes to shove, and if they heard a sermon on hell, they would probably go with Rob Bell and deny it. I just don't understand how you can be a true, heartfelt Christian, and it's not at least on your mind to share Jesus with other people. There's type three, and type three probably really aren't Christians, biblically speaking, because they believe in ultimately universalism, which is to say everybody goes to heaven in the end. You really can't get that from the Bible, though. It was 1980, some of you were there, and um, many of you, and uh, at this particular event, 1980, and Ronald Reagan was running for president against Jimmy Carter, then President Jimmy Carter. And a week before the election, one week before the election, Ronald Reagan shared one of his Ronald Reagan lines. He said, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And many of you may, might remember that. It's the second best line in the debate besides the one when he said, I'm not going to make age an issue in this campaign. But, you know, when you think about it, can you just click on PowerPoint? There we go. When you think about it, are we better off now because of Jesus in our life? Because I would like to bring you to the reality of the gospel, not just by pointing out the need of the Great Commission, but pointing out that Jesus changes our life. A few years ago, I was sitting in a Good Friday service, and I thought, what would my life be like without Jesus? Where would I be? What would I be like? Has Jesus changed my life? And think about it. I've heard some say that they would be dead without Jesus, like physically dead. And maybe that's the case. Maybe their life was going on quite a trajectory. I was talking to Pastor John Reiser a few year, uh, weeks ago, and they had another death from heroin in the area of Damascus Friends Church. And, uh, but they have something to celebrate. At Damascus Friends Malvern campus, a woman celebrated her one-year um, anniversary of being free from heroin. A year before that day, she was going to take more of the pills, and uh, she looked down and she saw an invite to their Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery. So she went there and she gave her life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and just a few weeks ago, she celebrated one year free from the drugs. And the transformation happened with the spiritual transformation of coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. She would have been dead without Jesus. What would your life be like without Jesus? For me, without Jesus in my life, I would have no hope. I would not know about the future. Funerals would be more difficult because I would not know about eternal life, nor would I have any confidence in my eternal life. You realize in Jesus we have confidence in our eternal life. Funerals would always be the reminder of the reality of death. Without Jesus in my life, I would have no moral grounding, none. Without Jesus, I would not be bound by the biblical values of right and wrong. Now, let me make a little claim there. There is what we could call common grace. That means there's a lot of people without Jesus that still have some moral grounding because they still, there's still a little bit of those, that, that moral grounding left in our country. But it's going away, and it's going away very fast. There's no telling what I'd be into. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 gets into the fruit of the Spirit, which we have with Jesus. Without Jesus, it's gone. Without Jesus in my life, 
I may have idols to replace him. Drugs, alcohol, adultery, pornography, etc. Without Jesus in my life, I would not have the community of the church. We see that in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Without Jesus in my life, I would not have the wisdom and the knowledge of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Without, but without Jesus in my life, I would also not have the Holy Spirit. I'd be alone. You realize, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're never alone. You have the, you have, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And also, you have the church family. And the more we can be a family and sweet fellowship, the better we can be as a witness. There's a lady, um, a little tangent, and then I'll come back. Just a short tangent. Give me 30 seconds. Rosario Butterfield. She uh, used to be a lesbian, and she spoke at Cedarville Chapel a few weeks ago. She was a very outspoken lesbian, very outspoken. She was a professor with tenure, and she wrote about it, and she wrote against promise keepers and all this stuff. Well, eventually she got saved. She became a Christian. Now she's married to a Presbyterian pastor, actually. And um, total transformation. One thing she says is that the lesbian homosexual community are very much a community. And the more the church can be a community, the better our outreach will be. God has called us to be a holistic community as Christians supporting each other. Without Jesus, you don't have that. Without Jesus, I would not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps one to understand and apply the Bible. The Holy Spirit works in the community of the church. The Holy Spirit teaches and helps each believer. Without Jesus in my life, I'd be lost in darkness with no hope for now or for eternity. What about you? Are you better now because of Jesus in your life? Maybe it's something to think about. What would your life be like without Christ? Are you saved? Are you set free from sin? Do you live for sin or for Jesus? Do you live in the kingdom of heaven or the fallen, fallen world? What was your life like before you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? What has your Christian life been like? What is your future like as a Christian? I want to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we'll move quickly. Uh, Lynn just read it, but let's read it just one more time. Jesus came up to them. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Be a contagious Christian. That's the theme and the application today. Be a contagious. We are called to infect other people with the gospel. Notice that Jesus tells them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to them. Jesus did not say some authority. He said all authority. How much is all? It's every bit of authority. There is no authority that does not belong under Jesus. Nothing. Jesus does not have to report to anyone. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, Jesus says that all authority had been handed over to him. And in Daniel seven thirteen, there's an end time vision of Jesus coming with power. In Matthew 26, 64, Jesus says, you have said it yourself, nevertheless, I tell you, 
Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's an awesome passage. A quote from Psalm 110.1 in Daniel 7.13. And we've read this passage a number of times in the worship service. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created both through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The stars you see at night, they were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The planets at the outer depths of space were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The vast oceans on this earth were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The clouds up in the sky were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The materials to create your house, your computer, TV, all created by Jesus and for Jesus. The rulers of the world were set in place by Jesus and for Jesus. All of this is held together for his purpose. But why did Jesus tell them this now? Why now? Verse 19, Jesus goes on and gives them the great commission. I believe he's telling them this now because they're going to need the confidence to know that Jesus is with them and he has all authority. Verse 19 says, as you go, make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you notice, I kind of substituted a few words there. This is uh, my translation. As you go. But in most of your Bibles, it probably says, go therefore. But what's interesting to think about this is, and I got this, if you look at the Greek tense of this passage, it tells us that go is not a command. It's a present participle. The only command in this passage is not interesting. You and I, we are commanded to make disciples, and making disciples starts with sharing Jesus to other, with other people, sharing the gospel. We're called to make disciples. Now, if go is not a command, how would it better be translated? It would be translated, as you go, make disciples. It's kind of implied or inferred. You're going to go. You're going to go. We know that. And as you go about your business, make disciples of all the nations. It's like Jesus is saying, as you go about your business, make disciples. It's a natural part of the Christian's life. It's a natural part of the Christian's life. Get that. We must be so incredibly excited and on fire for our faith that we want to make disciples everywhere we go. In the book of Acts, the disciples are called before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And they're commanded not to talk about Jesus. Don't preach Jesus anymore. And they said, we have to obey God, not man. We can't help but talk about Jesus. We can't contain ourselves. It's just bubbling up inside. We're called to be contagious. We are contagious one way or another. As you go to your job at McDonald's, if any of you have the privilege of working there, make disciples. As you go to a factory, make disciples. As you teach students, make disciples. As you cut hair, make disciples. As you make friends, make disciples. As you go out to eat, make disciples. As you go to the grocery store, make disciples. As you go to Lowe's. Make disciples. I work there too, so don't go to 
Depot. As you go to Lowe's, make disciples. You fill in the blank. You're all going to leave this place. I know that. Because if not, I'm going to turn the lights out on you. You're all going to leave after this service is over. And you're called to make disciples. Be contagious. Infect other people with the gospel everywhere you go. That's how churches grow. That's how Christianity grows. Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use every one of us. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. He wants to use all of us. Now, making disciples implies evangelism. But it doesn't mean that you're going up to somebody and saying, excuse me, can I ask you a question? If you were to die tonight and you stood before God and he said, why should, you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, that's one way of introducing the gospel, and that's called the confrontational evangelism way or the direct evangelism way. Nothing wrong with it. You know, there used to be a group called Evangelism Explosion. I've led it before. Uh, Pastor Bobby Bur Murphy told me he did that in uh, Barberton, I think it was. Nothing wrong with that. But evangelism is so much more. And in the summer, starting in June and July and August, uh, probably just June and July, I will, I will be leading Becoming a Contagious Christian in the Fellowship Hall Sunday School class. You all have a natural style of evangelism. It's natural to you. God has gifted you a certain way. And for some of you, it might be that direct way where you have no problem just opening up and talking to somebody and talking to them about the gospel. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. There is a light that shines through us. So there's servant evangelism. These people are just, they love to serve people. They're just always eager, looking for a way to help somebody. You know, help somebody with a common chore, or help somebody with food, or help somebody with transportation, or help somebody, you know, build their deck, or you make up something. They're, they just love to serve people. And as they serve people, God gives them the opportunity to share Jesus. You go to the grocery, you open doors for people, you look for ways to help people in different ways. There's social evangelism, or I've called it relational evangelism. Everybody say relational. Now, we're called to be relational either way, okay? And we're called to serve either way, okay? You can't say, well, I don't have that gift. That's just an excuse. We're all called to be relational. We're all called to be social. We're all called to serve. But some people have this natural gift of being social, of building relationships, and God will use that so you can share the gospel with other people. Now, it's interesting, by the way, that if you ask retail people, what day they hate to work. They hate working Sundays. Go to any restaurant. Ask people who work Sundays. Now, why is that? It's usually because the church crowd comes in. They demand a lot. They tip little. Collectively, we are terrible witnesses. We are way better at protesting than serving and being social and being loving. Our track record is terrible. Well, being a relational witness means... As you go to restaurants, as you go to different places, tip big. That's what grace is. Giving people what they don't deserve. It doesn't matter if the service is bad. Give big tips. Be loving. Be respectful. Talk to people. Represent Christ well. Build a relationship. 
And then you have their trust, and you can share the gospel with them. There's invitational evangelism, invite them to church. In youth groups, you can usually see the invitational evangelism very well. Because these kids invite all their friends to youth group, and you have carloads coming and things like that. You see it with adults as well. You know, we see the people bringing carloads of children to VBS. And, and actually, if you come to the class, Becoming a Contagious Christian, we talk about the ways to share the gospel in these different styles. And that's going to start in June. Another style is direct evangelism. Eventually, we do always have to use words. There's a quote called, share the gospel, use words if you have to. It's attributed to Francis of Assisi, but we don't really know if St. Francis ever really even said that. And you do eventually have to use words, you know. Now, there's another type I didn't list here, testimonial evangelism. Some people are great at sharing their testimony. And testimonies are great because nobody can argue with it. It's what God has done in your life. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Has Jesus impacted your life? We all have a testimony about Jesus to share with others. And Jesus modeled this as-you-go mentality. When everyone else avoided Samaria, Jesus went to Samaria. John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is local. In Judea, which is a little further in a bigger area, which is Samaria, in the further areas of the earth. Our mission field starts here, and then it goes out from here. This is, and guess what? You all have a mission field. God has given you a sphere of influence, which he wants you to share Jesus with other people in that sphere of influence. If you're disobedient, he'll use someone else. I believe that. And I believe that, and that's important, because they need to hear the gospel. People need to hear once they know Christ, we make disciples. They come alongside us and learn how to follow, be a follower of Jesus. They get baptized in the Trinitarian name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I commanded you, and I will be with you. Jesus says, teach them everything, everything I commanded you. Notice that Jesus says all, not some. He, he says, teach them all that I commanded you. What are these commandments? Love your neighbor as yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Love your enemies, and so much more. And Jesus is with us to the end. You are not alone. You have trouble telling people about Jesus. Don't worry. Jesus is with you. He's with you. The Holy Spirit is always with you. Jesus never leaves us. He never abandons us. He never forsakes us. In Acts 18.10, Paul is a little worried about witnessing in Corinth, and he has a vision, and the vision is Christ saying, I am with you, and he's with you, he's with me, he's with all of us. We must understand that we have a mission field. We have a great commission. I'm not calling you to go out and preach on the street corner right now. I'm not challenging you to go out and just start talking to the strangers. I'm calling you to take this seriously. Pray over your different evangelism styles, your different, your different um, gift mix. I'm calling you to pray for those who do not know Christ, who you know. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you divine appointments. 
and look for the Spirit to prompt you. If you're having a conversation with a friend or family member, and in the back of your head, you're hearing the word gospel, share the gospel, share Jesus, bring up Jesus, say I'll pray for you. It's probably the Holy Spirit telling you to do that. It might be the Holy Spirit just saying, can I pray for you? You're segueing a conversation from whatever else they're talking about to the spiritual. It could be watching a football game with somebody, and you see them praying on the sidelines, and you say, isn't it neat? Both sides are praying. Which side is God on? You know, <laughs> uh, Just look for opportunities to transition a conversation to the spiritual. And the class, Becoming a Contagious Christian, will help you. We're also looking at material called God's Space. But what it comes back down to is, are, are you better off now because of Jesus? Has Jesus impacted and changed your life? Don't be selfish. Do you want others changed by Jesus as well? I was a speaker at a Nazarene church uh, youth, youth little retreat. And I met somebody there who was friends with a friend that I knew. And this guy got saved when he was in his mid-20s. No, actually, I'm sorry, I got it backwards. This guy was saved all through high school. He was saved. But he had a good friend. He had a really good friend who did not get saved until later, mid-20s. And his friend said, why didn't you tell me? We think people don't really say that, but they do. You see each other every day. We have this eternal life gift, this, this cure for eternal damnation. Got to tell. The question is, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior yourself? The gospel acronym, God created us to be with him. But our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be taken care of by good deeds. We needed a Savior. We needed Jesus. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. It's a simple acronym. Summarizes the gospel. Summarizes the Bible. Summarizes a divine plan. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do need you. And our friends and family and neighbor and coworkers, Lord God, they need you too. Give us opportunities to share you with other people. The Holy Spirit, prompt us and convict us. Don't, please, Lord, do not let us ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings. Don't let us miss what you're doing. Don't let us miss out. Give us opportunities. We all know people who need you. They need the gospel. And, Lord, maybe there's some here who have never, some in this congregation, who have never surrendered their life to you. May today be the day of salvation. We are not promised tomorrow. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you can tell Jesus that you want to surrender to him in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned and my sins separate me from you. I believe, Jesus, that you died in the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm trusting in you for my eternal life, committing your, my life to you. I'm committing my life to you. Jesus, help us all as we commit our lives to you. Help us to love and serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer or you have any questions about the Christian faith, any doubts, I would love to talk to you. Call me, stop me, and we'll talk.
Let's all stand and sing the last hymn, 661 in your hymn books. You may want to turn there or you can read the screen. <laughs> Rescue the parents. 